it's like it's like corn but with an M at the end instead of corn. Like yeah. like like corn, but it's it's corn. Yes. But if you say it more subtly, then like sometimes people don't notice, so you can get away with saying corn and people corm. like corn. <laughs> yeah. on the cob. Well, welcome everybody to the fourth episode of the Fact Cougars podcast. We welcome uh. Three of our, our close, close buds from back in ye olden times uh, for this miraculous crossover episode with the Ultra Hope Girls, a Danganronpa podcast podcast. Uh, so thank you guys for coming along. I'm one of your hosts, Smiles. And I am Michael, welcoming you to our cast. <laughs> Can you guys, you guys, you guys should, you guys should introduce yourselves. Who wants to go first? Um, I'm Marin. <laughs> I'm Marin. Um, I am a senior nursing student um, at Pitt. And yeah, these two are really cool. And everyone should listen to their podcast all the time. So, yeah. Wow, you're so nice, Marin. <laughs> we had Tinder profiles. We would put that review on it. I'm holding a fish. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am Caroline. I am an actor, performer, writer, podcaster, all the things. I do a lot of random stuff. And I'm really excited to be here with Miles and Michael. I love them. Not the other two, though. Yeah, Yeah, you guys. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hello, I am Maddie. I am also, um, I'm also here. I (laughs) I forgot what I was going to say there. I am a biology and psychology double major also going into my senior year of college. Um, So that's fun. And I'm really excited to be here. We're so excited to have you all. We're going to get off to a fabulous quiz. The format of the show is uh, typically Miles and I each do some cool research into something we didn't know anything about before and we want to learn more about. And we love to share all of our knowledge, and all of our snacks with each other. So we, bring, we come together in the same room, and we prepare a little quiz, and we quiz each other, and we teach each other, and it's beautiful. But this time, it's different. Dun dun! <laughs> Everything changed when Avatar The Last Airbender got put on Netflix. Now I have to know the references. And now this, uh, this time, Miles and I have prepared the same quiz. What? We've what? teamed oh, up man. in the crossover event of the century, but really it's a team-up event between Mike, Michael and I. That's the real Cartoon Network audience draw right there. And I will say the theme of our quiz is indeed a question of the quiz because it's a secret and you'll have to figure it out so we'll be we'll be hearing guesses interesting i guess throughout but our first question for you is who was sir morian uh who is a knight in arthurian legend was he a very big and very green man a moorish knight of legendary strength and beauty, Arthur's pet dog, vanquisher of foes, or a monk's self-insert original character. Do not, do not steal. Wait, so can we like deliberate among ourselves for like a certain Please. amount of time? Oh, of course. Do we want to like, like okay. set like a timer? I'll, I'll time you, but I won't tell you how much time I'm giving you. So. Oh, great. Okay. So, so 
the obvious answer feels like B. Yeah. But like it's too obvious, right? It's not B. I feel like it's the dog. Right. I think it's the self-insert OC. I was also thinking of that. I was like, that'd be funny if that was. Can you imagine naming your dog like Sir Sir Woof? Sir Dog. <laughs> Hello, dog. I would do that. What was the first option? I kind of forget that. The, Just like the very whole... big and very green. Yeah. Huh. Are we pushing that one aside too quickly? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of very big, very green people. We have the Jolly Green Giant. We have the Hulk. So I feel like that is inspired by those things rather than, you know what I mean? <laughs> sure, sure. Or maybe those things were inspired by this thing. You're Which not came first. I feel like since um, the Hulk like, or the big green knight. I feel like since he just gave us a hint prodding us in that direction, that's not that answer. So mm-hmm. hold on. What was the, can you repeat the question? <laughs> Who was Sir Morien, a knight? of Arthurian legend. I'm good with... Uh, I'm kind of thinking C. Let's go with C. Dog one? Arthur's pet dog. Yeah. Okay, let's pet go with that. Dog. So, the knight, the knight Algovale had fallen in love with a beautiful Moorish princess but had to leave the country before they can marry. He left her pregnant with his son, Morian, who would grow into a tall, handsome youth, black of face and limb. His blows were so mighty, Morian's, uh, did a spear fly towards him to harm him. It troubled him no whit, but he smote it in twain as if it were a reed naught might endure before him. So this is like, he's like a, the, a black guy who's, who's a knight of Arthurian legend. Had like a, he's like a really heroic, strong Huh. Strong 13th century tale. So it was B. And like, so it was yeah. B. <laughs> no! <laughs> yeah, and it's like, people, people, I think most people don't know that there was like a, like a, that there were people of color in, in as knights of the round table. Oh, yeah. Uh, partially because um, physical descriptions in old poems are like incredibly ambiguous. Like some people just said he was like dark. And then people tend to like project themselves in stories and also racial prejudice. And so like, he just kind of got whitewashed. Yeah. And, and didn't exist. There is actually a, a, a green guy. There is the green knight <laughs> who is actually, his skin is green. Oh man. In, in the night of the round table. Um, who's actually, he's supposed to be like one of the strongest knights of the round table is the green knight. And he's supposed to be like kind of weird. Like really, really <laughs> scary. Probably because he's green. I was going to say, I mean, Shrek. <laughs> all right, Michael. <laughs> you, should, you should hit him with the next question. All right. All right. And remember, as we ask these to uh, try to pick out a certain thread the theme, yeah. as we go so that you guys work out the theme. And we won't tell you until the quiz is over if you've got it right or not. The, the Assateague Indians of Maryland, what is modern day Maryland, have a really long and deep history, a significant amount of which includes them getting just screwed over. Which of these things really did happen to them? Is it A, their land was coercively bought and stolen so much that a small portion of them relocated to Indian River, Delaware, the, the land that is today Holtz Landing State Park. B, 
their land was stolen over and over, so they rode to New Amsterdam, modern New York, in leather corex, which is a type of boat where they were named upon sight the Hotslanda people, Dutch for the scabbard bearing. <laughs> C, their lands were not stolen, and they lived in peace with the colonists and taught them how to farm corms, beans, and squash. In the Nanticoke language, each of those veggies translate to holica, sla, and derricoke. So if you say that together... Holtzlanda! <laughs> oh man, for all the listeners, um, my last name is Holtzlander. <laughs> so, or, yeah. or D... I looked you up on Ancestry.com, Marin, and your direct, you have a direct relative who was the governor of Maryland as a colony in the 17th century who stole the land of the Assateagues, and uh, it's your fault. You must answer for these crimes, the crimes committed by your many greats grandfather, Bertrand Holtzlander OBE. Okay, I don't think I have an ancestor who did that because, like, <laughs> my grandfather actually loved doing Ancestry.com, and that never came up. No. <laughs> so not D. So not Family D. secret. <laughs> I really hope it's not D. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I gotta tell you, if it is D, you will be put on trial at the Hague. So okay, right. <laughs> that seems very fair. Um. I mean, I'd like to say the theme of the quiz is Marin. But we gotta, we gotta get to the end of the quiz, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. okay. Um, There's still four more questions. What if every two questions are one of us three? Yeah, Just that, like, okay, that occurred okay, to me. But... <laughs> I feel like um, maybe it could be A. Is that the one about them going to Delaware? That's yeah, that, that would be their land was uh, bought and stolen so much of the that a small portion of them relocated to Indian River, Delaware, which is today the land known as Holtz Landing State Park. I feel like it could be that one. I think it could be because yeah. the odds of Michael and Miles finding like specific crop names that match Holtzlanda. Yeah. It's just that that is like so like how would they have found that? Yeah, I'm skeptical. Yeah. I also think the boat one, the one where they take boats to New York, I don't know if you can take, well, it doesn't say that they went on like the river versus like an ocean, but I know one of the questions I think B was about them like showing up to New York in boats. I'll, I'll read there's, that there's, one again. There's, there's Their land was stolen over and over, so they rode to New Amsterdam in leather corks where they were named the Holtzlanda people, Dutch for the scabbard bearing. Hmm. Maren, what's the origin of your last name? German. Could be similar in Dutch. But it used to be spelled differently. Yeah, and yeah. I do think I have some Dutch relatives. Um, Could be that one. Is your last name Sea of Bitter Tears, or is it your first name? My first name. Okay. <laughs> your first name means sea of bitter tears that's correct yes it comes why? from mary which means that yep <laughs> why don't i already know that why don't you tell me this every day that's the coolest fact that's a cougar fact 
<laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's so good. Yep. Um, Holtzlander means lumberjack. Because Holtz is tree and like slander you cut. Yep. That's awesome. Wow, that's <laughs> such an interesting name. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So if you guys um, you guys have an answer? Yeah. Kind of um, Delaware one? That's yeah. Kind of that's what I'm you think too? For. Okay. Let's do A. Let's go with that one. Dang. You guys are so right. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah, this um so the, the Assateague people, yeah, they um they originally lived in Maryland. There's an Assateague Park now, which I think is on the Chesapeake, um uh, named after them. Uh, near Chincoteague, it's famous for like wild horses and I went there this and, summer. Nice. It's beautiful. Yeah. Very lovely. And um, those people, yeah, they really got screwed over a bunch of times. There's a lot of weird historical documentation of that, uh, including this bizarre set of rules that's in a peace treaty they made with um, the governor of Maryland. Now, let me tell you, I really want to share a few of these who I am not related to, by the way. <laughs> who are not related to. <laughs> How good was that, though? Can you Thank imagine you. if I came on this podcast and it was like, <laughs> time to destroy you? <laughs> 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 All right, sorry, keep going. A trick question were actually the cancel cats, and we try to entrap people. And cancel them. <laughs> and cancel them. <laughs> you dig up all the dirt on everyone who comes on your podcast. <laughs> that would be incredible. Although no one would come on after like two episodes. <laughs> after episode two, nobody's seen Nick Dashe ever again. <laughs> dun, dun. <laughs> all right, we have this peace treaty that was signed between Charles Calvert who is governor of Maryland, not Bertrand Holtzlander, just got to make that clear. Uh, the language in the document says the treaty was intended to last to the world's end, which is just like fun historical syntax. And a few of these weird ones include, because the English uh, claimed to be unable to distinguish one Indian from the other, no Indian was to enter an English settlement with face paint or carrying a weapon or even to approach a settlement without laying down the weapons and shouting their name out. That kind of reminds me of the office garden party episode where Dwight just like shouts the names of people as they come in. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Halpert. <laughs> they had to have somebody whose job that was. They were like, hey, 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 someone's going to forget and they're going to get shot because these guys will just shoot us. So uh, I'm going to stand here and just say, hey, someone's coming and his name is Jared. <laughs> <laughs> You can't shoot them now. That's illegal. So pretty unfortunate. They really did get screwed over just constantly. Mm -hmm. And now most of them are have been absorbed as tributary people to the Iroquois and then moved to Ontario. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So but, they, they knew to move to Canada before we <laughs> before we knew. Yeah. 
to flee. I'm also, <laughs> in addition to the naming thing with like Marin or whatever, I'm also sensing like a historical, like racial justice theme in like some of these, these questions, maybe. Uh oh. Wonder where a whale is gonna take us. <laughs> <laughs> On to the next question. Caroline Grills, Australian serial killer, was finally caught in 1953. What was her flaw slash mistake that got her caught? She bled all over her honey bunches of oats, uh, tried to sell fresh man fingers to the police. Her son-in-law already suspicious of her tea due to his previous poisoning, saw her slip something into his cup. Or, and finally, she confessed on national television thinking no one would believe her. I don't think it's A or C. I will say I don't, because Miles and I were chatting this morning on Discord about cereal, and he mentioned that he was having honey bunches of oats. So I think maybe he yeah. just came up with that on the spot because he was eating honey bunches of oats, possibly. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> I really want it to be D. I know. I kind of do, too. I know. But I also, I was going to say, I don't, I think C is the one about her nephew, son. Yeah. Son-in-law. I don't think it's that one either because I don't, I feel like Marin, maybe Marin, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you know this, but I feel like most serial killers aren't, like, don't kill people of their own family. Like, yeah, but sometimes they're like, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm doing so well. It's more like uh, an MO versus like, hmm, like how to put this. Like, if you like to kill young boys, then you might be willing to kill your younger brother, Yeah, you know? True. But if your uh, MO is outside of my family, like, it's, so it can be yeah, other yeah. things. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. But I also... Talk of young boys, Marin? What is that? What? Young boys? I don't know, no, I... Sound a little cougar-like. Cougar? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh wow. Um yeah. Uh, but yeah, I <laughs> because I think that'd be too easy. Not in like the answer, but like like this is I hope it's not C because I'm about to roast you if it is. I feel like that is way too simple for a serial killer and not that interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I think it's D. That's my You think it's D? What do we think of, what do we think about the man where she fingers? sold fingers. Yeah, the man fingies. I want to discuss the man Let's fingies. Let's discuss the man fingers. Always willing to talk about man fingers. Um... <laughs> It's like I mean, the like lady fingers, you know, that's like a dessert. Yeah. But it's man fingers. <laughs> Equality. Um, I don't know. Why would you do that? Why like Yeah. What? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I kinda wanna go with D. Yeah, let's go with D. That's okay. funny. So Caroline Grills was a sixty three year old great grandmother who poisoned seven people killing four of her relatives using the untraceable thallium, which is also known as rat poison. Her son-in-law, who she had poisoned previously, but he hadn't died, 
he had just gone blind, noticed that she was slipping stuff into his tea. And then he like switched it. He like poured it into a bottle and he took it to the police. They're like, yeah, this is like straight rat poison, dude. I'm sorry for (laughs) (laughs) that did end up being more interesting. Wow. Just for that, we're trying you at the Hague. No. (laughs) Man, I got it very wrong about the not killing relatives thing. It was very much the opposite. Oh yeah, she straight just poisoned people that she was related to. Like she'd have people she just like hosted a lot of tea parties and then um, so the prosecution called her somebody who just like murdered for the kick, for the fun of it, for the thrill that she and she alone in the world knew the cause of the victim's suffering. But it's all, he's also a prosecutor, so you can't really trust anything he says um, for the most part, especially when it's like that kind of thing. But we just, we just do know that she killed hmm. seven. Uh, she killed four of her family members and poisoned seven of them. Wow. That gives me very strong Haunting of Hill House vibes. Ooh. If you guys have seen that. Yeah. yeah a little bit. Yeah. Good show. A little bit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so <laughs> they like, they exhumed the bodies of two of her other victims and they found traces of the poison and they found traces of the poison in her dress. I have a and, question. What yes, would she do with the victims after she killed them? Um, so they wouldn't die in her house. They would get, <gasps> they would get really sick. And then die of illness, essentially, because it's that not a rat poison isn't quick acting. Yeah, because theoretically, like the rats are supposed to like go back to where the other rats live, and be able to lead them to the source of food before they die. Yeah, that's wild. That's why rat poison is effective? Huh? And it does the same. So it like it just and it causes like severe body issues before you die, which is why like her son-in-law had all this eye damage from the previous time that he'd gotten poisoned by his mother-in-law. Oh my God. Yeah. And so apparently uh, she was sentenced to life in prison and all of the inmates like loved her. She was like a mother. <laughs> she's figure. like 65. <laughs> yeah. She's like, she would like hosted tea parties for like all of her life. And so she like was buddies with all of the people in prison because she was like their mom. Wow. wow. So <laughs> amazing. All right, Michael, you want to hit him with the next question? Let's do our next one. President James Madison was given what advice on his deathbed? Is it A, you look skinny, you should gain some weight? His entire life, he never eclipsed 100 pounds of weight. Yeah, he was like five foot four and under 100 pounds. He was very small, yeah. Historical fact. Tiny, tiny man. Uh-oh. Maddie has, <laughs> Maddie has some <laughs> confidence here. Well, there's a statue of him. So I go to James Madison University, the school of James Madison, and there's like a life-size statue of him on our campus. <laughs> That's hysterical. And he's like, he's like five feet tall. <laughs> and so the running joke is that James Madison was a small guy. <laughs> so I do know that, but All right. I don't know about the advice advice on the deathbed. Keep going, keep going. Uh, B, you should do some math and try to die on July 4th. <laughs> Buy Apple stock. It'll be big. This is going to blow up. Or D, 
it's okay to masturbate after the age of 85, so knock yourself out. Do we know <laughs> how old he was when he died? 86. Did you make that up, or is that real? No, that's that. real. We wouldn't really sure. lie to you. We are honor-bound. This is true. Okay. This is Except Cougar all... facts, not Cougar fiction, Marin. <laughs> Ooh, slammed. Got him. <laughs> you should make that into, like, a red bubble sticker. You um, Okay. I'm going to say it's probably not the um, one about buying stock in Apple. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Yeah, a little early for it's gonna that. going to be big. <laughs> I mean, unless they're talking about the crop. Yeah, like, but, like buy, buy Apple, <laughs> invest in the Apple Corrections. Oceans. Correction, James Madison did die at 85. But he had been 85 for a little bit, so. Okay. okay. And that's a Cougar mm. fact. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lynx lie. <laughs> Very clever. <laughs> I'm going to say um, I think it's... Uh, we can also rule out D. What was D? The masturbation? I don't know. Wait, what, what, I'm kind when of he says knock yourself out, that's very much like a an expression. But he did. He died. That well, isn't... I think we we're also we're paraphrasing the questions yeah, here okay. because meth also wasn't invented yet. Okay. <laughs> I, I was gonna um <laughs> yeah I was gonna say that I think that you guys you know jazzed it up. Okay. Okay. For the if it's, if yeah. it's not yeah. the so actual this, words, this is then, this okay. is. Yeah, gotcha. Maddie? <laughs> Maddie's like, let me analyze the wording of the quote and see if that leads to an answer. That's how I do it. I am very torn between B and D. You know, I think it's one of those I think two. it could be A. What was A? It was like, you, you need to gain some you weight. Look skinny. Gain some weight. But like on his deathbed? But that would be like the irony of it. That would be like funny. I mean, not funny if you're, like, dying on your deathbed and, like, whatever. But, you know, it's been hundreds of years, so. Deathbeds are pretty inherently funny places. I just want to add that. <laughs> There's that one guy who, he was, like, some writer in the 19th century, and he was, like, gonna die. And then the nurse found his brother coming into the room, and she was like, hey, he's, like, recovering. He's, he's actually doing well. And the guy says as his last words, no, I'm not. And then he dies, so... <laughs> I saw something about that on like Twitter or something. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Oscar Oscar Wilde on his deathbed was like, "Somebody has to change this fucking wallpaper. It's so <laughs> ugly." And then he died. That's amazing. Okay, what was B again? The meth. You, sh you should do some meth and try to so that you can die on July Fourth. I don't think that that's it, because at this point. Was July 4th that big of a deal? It was the founding so. of the I country know. that he was on. also, Jefferson and Monroe and one of the other ones had also died on the 4th of July. Oh, okay. That is important context. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe it is that one. One of the other ones. <laughs> the meth thing. Like. I mean, they were really wild about doing different drugs back then you know cocaine was in soda and yeah, it was like hey why don't you take this codeine for your cough and like i yeah. mean they were pretty wild cough syrup now featuring 100 percent pure heroin yeah <laughs> right mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe it is the math one all right let's go with that one let's go with b 
All right. After leaving the presidency, Madison returned to his estate and spent his later years farming and serving as the uh, the second rector. I don't know what a rector is for, for Thomas Jefferson, but on his deathbed, his doctor suggested that he take stimulants to keep him alive until the 4th of July, the same historic date that Jefferson, John Adams, and James Monroe had all died. Uh, he turned down the offer and instead died on June 28th, six days before <laughs> July 4th. So presumably he could have straight done his meth and had the cool death date. I'm not sure the meth would have helped. <laughs> <laughs> Nurse Marin puts a big question mark there. I'm sorry, do you mean Nurse Shia LaBeouf? <laughs> Caroline is Mick Jagger. Excuse me, it's Jagger, uh, comma, Jagger Mick. comma Mick. <laughs> oh man. Um, all right. <laughs> all right. What's next? The next question is, what is the etymology of the name Caroline? Is it, does it come from Proto-European Ketzer, meaning fish-like? Uh, churl, meaning low-born, low-ranking peasant? Uh, <laughs> I hope yeah. it's that one. <laughs> The Yiddish chutzpah for audacity or insolence, uh, or the word katalesker, uh, which is a uh, word for a chief judge of the Ottoman Empire. I think it's B. I think it's A. <laughs> I think it's A too, actually. What it was A? I remember it being an animal when I looked it up. Because yes, I did look up your name etymology. Love <laughs> you. I thought yeah. it was a bird. I thought it meant like I don't know. I think I think it, it's like lion. Like there's mm. some translations where it's like brave lion tamer. Or like I don't know. <laughs> oh, maybe but um yeah, then would it be like audacity or whatever the third one was? Maybe. I think chutzpah. I don't think chutzpah that just doesn't that's not I don't think that's right. I don't think that mm. is either. It's it's too like much of a word we use now that like Miles might say in conversation and then Michael said, Oh, that's a good one. Put that in the yeah. Caroline question. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Do we wanna um, guess A? I think it's A. I, 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 don't, I don't know why. So I'm down to so, go with that. All right. So Caroline in its base, base, base root that we know of comes from the Old English uh, churl, meaning a pez. It's, it's spelled C-E-O-R-L. I mean, spelled in the way that Old English has spelling, which it kind of doesn't. Uh, and that means peasant, one of the lowest classes of freemen, men without rank. Uh, I think that, that comes from the Proto-Germanic curlaz. Um, it had various meanings in early modern English, including man of the common people, a countryman, husbandman, free peasant, uh, bondman, villain, or fellow of low birth or rude manners. And so that became then uh, Charles. Yep. From the from medieval Latin Carolus, uh, which came from Carl, uh, which came from Churl, and then Carolus becomes uh, either of pertaining to a Charles, so like Carolingian, 
pertaining to a Charles. <laughs> or then uh, Caroline, which is the uh, which was originally like that kind of did come from Carolingian, which is imagine Charles. Everyone around you, or not everyone, obviously, but there's people around you called Churl, and then you're like, no, no, I'm Carl. <laughs> Carl. I don't Carl. like the other curls. <laughs> Carl. There's there's like a couple really interesting theories on how, like how and why languages evolve like that, like how Churl becomes Carl. Hmm. And I, I I like know nothing about it. I'm so far for an expert, but like. Yeah. From what I've read, it's that vowels tend to like lengthen and like drop their complexity over time. So like the the ch drops to k because it's easier to say, mm-hmm. and then the the u lengthens into like an ah because ah and uh ah is much easier to, to vocalize than uh. So churl becomes Carl because Carl is easier. Hmm. Very cool. I was a little nervous that my second question would be um, relating to the many orejuelas of Colombia <laughs> who are part of drug cartels. Because <laughs> there is more than one. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> All right, on to our last question. Take it away, Michel. What is the historical figure Madison Washington known for? A a famous slave revolt, be a famous burlesque dance, see the first piece of African-American fictional literature, D, crossbreeding the passion fruit. Wow. Really a lot of various options we have yeah. presented have to us today. I have never heard of a Madison Washington. It's hailing outside right now, so I'm... I was muted. It is... Hailed on, it hailed in New York storming. yesterday, which was kind of crazy. That's wild. It hailed <laughs> guess, in I, Philly, too. I guess that storm moved down to every, everyone else now. Yeah. No, All not you. me. <laughs> well, whatever, Marin. I was not included. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, like... Never mind. Are there mountains between Philly and... Pit. I don't know. Probably, yeah. right? Yeah. Appalachia, maybe? Appalachian, Marin. Come on. This is fat <laughs> cougars. You can't be spreading lynx lies like pronouncing <laughs> Appalachia. <laughs> and you're from you're from Virginia, which is like right there. Virginia. At the foot. Virginia. <laughs> did you did you ever have to, to memorize the regions of Virginia yes. and like their grades? Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, I know that. I only remember Piedmont. I know because, all of them. Because one of, one of, I had a teacher that my brother had, and he would call my brother, oh, Jeremy of the Piedmont. <laughs> That's all I got. I'll, I'll be here all week. <laughs> Two shows on Tuesday. There's, all right, there's so. The, wait, I need to go over this because I still remember <laughs> that. There, there's the Tidewater. There's the Coastal Plain. There's the mm-hmm. Piedmont. And then there is Blue Ridge and Appalachian Plateau. Oh yes, that's good. I can't believe the sixth one, I'm which is Northern Virginia. No, <laughs> no. We're part of Piedmont, Miles. Not allowed. 
I'll pee your mom. <laughs> all right let's hear your guesses okay I, I don't think it's the passion fruit one because that sounds like something they these two would make up would it really Thanks, be something that we would make up <laughs> we talk we talk we talk about plants and food more than we don't i'm kind of feeling <laughs> like it might be a can you repeat the answers Michael. <laughs> yeah. a, fl- a famous slave revolt. Okay. A famous burlesque dance. The first piece of African American fictional literature. Or crossbreeding the first passion fruit. I think it's A too. Because, like, C, I don't think that they supported women writers back Madison, when they first. Well, Madison was not always a woman's name. Though. Yeah, it's oh. actually like only only recently. Yeah, it's become a Ooh. more female aligned name. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And I'm still feeling A. I, I think I don't know. A. Yeah, let's go with that. What do you think, Caroline? Okay. No, I was just gonna the, gonna say that. I mean, this is probably I don't know what year we're gonna this person lived at all, but like Uncle Tom's Cabin was written by a woman, like a black woman. So. Feature Stowe. Feature Stowe, yeah. Uh, so yeah. It, it's nice. not completely out of the realm of possibility if it was a woman. True. But yeah. True. Uh, yeah. So, is is A your final answer? Yeah. So, yeah. Before, before we move on, remember that the passion fruit was <laughs> domesticated in Colombia. Hmm. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my ancestors. Wow, that was popular. That was good. I should. (laughs) (laughs) So, in November 1841, on board the ship Creole, Madison Washington instigated a slave revolt. Uh, Him and his seventeen, him and seventeen of his compatriots, uh, killed one of the slave traders on board and wounded some of the rest of the rest of the crew. They then commandeered the vessel and sailed it to the British colony of Nassau. Uh, hmm. Since the UK at that point in time had abolished slavery, like a decade-ish prior in 1833, the British declared the slaves to be free persons under the law and refused to uh, extradite them back to America. Nice. Later, Frederick Douglass wrote a novella called The Heroic Slave, whose lead character was inspired by and named Madison Washington. And that is the first known piece of African-American fictional literature. I think I actually did know that in the recess of my mind somewhere back in a file cabinet. Yeah, a little, little bit of column A, a little bit of column D, yeah. C, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column C. Amazing. Yeah. We got it. Wait, what's our score? Oh. Uh, let's see. You got one. I think we did pretty good. I think we got like uh, half. What was your James Madison answer again? Score. We got the um, meth one. All right. Two. <laughs> uh... <laughs> we got the meth one. <laughs> <laughs> we got the one about. I think you got, think you got three. Because you got. We got. Both the first the first Marin question right, and we got yeah. the second Marin question Three points. Right. So right. what do you what do you think the theme of the quiz was? Our well, names, us? <laughs> boy, howdy. <laughs> 
So Marin, one of the, one of the things that I found, which is why that there's the Sermorian question in there, is that there's actually like the male version, the like the English male version of your name comes from Morian, which is I think a Welsh name. It's Marek. Actually, sure. Mm-hmm. It is Welsh. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And so, <laughs> anyone know what? That's where you got that one. Anyone know what my last name means? I do. Origin? I do. Wait, 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 wait! Don't tell us yet. I want to guess. Okay. But Miles has to guess. First. Oh, my last name is Miles Sarlo. By the way, for our listeners. Sarlo. Oh man, I think it means like angry, like surly. Because <laughs> you're like the most furious person I've ever met. In my I know. Life. I'm just a ball of so, rage, honestly. Really, <laughs> like unbri- like unbridled. Like fury, more more furious than the surface of the sun. Just ridiculous. <laughs> the fury of a million Italian? stars. What's that, Michael? Is is it Italian in origin? It is. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Oh, that's a cougar fact. Um, <laughs> I think it means stables. Interesting. <laughs> I liked your I liked your first guess that nobody will know about better, and they have to wait <laughs> forever, not knowing they can't that. know it. I don't want to get hat canceled. It... <laughs> Maddie, I think your last name means fishmonger. It does. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> wait, you know what? That is why I thought the answer to the Caroline question was the fish answer because I knew oh. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was mixing up the fact. With the- yeah, you're not a fish. You're a common peasant, Caroline. <laughs> it will be anyone's peasant. <laughs> All right. Now it's time for Wait. us to ask you questions. Can I oh boy. propose that we do we alternate? I think it will be more fun. I, I think so, okay. too, actually. Yeah. I'm down. I don't mind starting, though. Okay, cool. Okay, okay, okay. All right. I'm going to eat another eight. So I think, well, I was going to say right off the bat um, that we have selected categories. So the three of us have broken up, picked two questions that have to do with, okay, hold on. I have to think of how I'm going to say this. On the Ultra Hope Girls, the Danganronpa podcast, the three of us have little labels that have to do with our common interests and our personalities. And so Marin is the ultimate nurse. Caroline is the ultimate literary girl, and Maddie is the ultimate psychologist. And so we thought we would do questions related to our ultimate abilities. So um, I'm doing literary girl knowledge. Specifically, my topic for my questions today is erotic authorial encounters. Um, so let's get rocking and rolling. <laughs> all right. My first question for you all is, which of Virginia Woolf's novels is directly inspired by her longtime affair with Vita Sackville West? Is it A, Orlando, B, A Room of One's Own, C, Mrs. Dalloway, or D, To the Lighthouse? Discuss. Man, you know, I've actually like learned a little bit about like the artistic group that Virginia Woolf was in because they're, they were like an incredibly influential body. I mean, I can't remember the name of it. It's, I think it's Bloomberg. Yeah. The Bloomberg group. Yeah, they did. They were really important, really, really important group in our history, especially, I mean, primarily Western art history. Um, 
but I don't know any of her books or any of her poems at all. Well, there's four that I just listed right here. I, I, <laughs> think, <laughs> I think it's either Orlando or the one that was third, the C. Can you list the, the options again, please? I will. A, Orlando. B, a room of one's own. C, Mrs. Dalloway. Or D, to the lighthouse. I like a room of one's own because it reminds me of the Futurama episode called A Leela of Her Own, because which is uh, a play on a league of their own, which is about women's baseball. So uh, it reminds me of that Futurama episode, and um, I like Futurama. So I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that because I the only thing I know about Virginia Woolf is that she's a Jeopardy answer pretty often. So <laughs> I'm gonna guess B. I think it's B Miles. All right, let's go with B then. Cool. All right, now for my very well written explanation. <laughs> Wolf had affairs with fellow writer Vita Sackville West as well as many other women. She was known to brag. It's confirmed in one of Wolf's diaries that Orlando is inspired by their relationship with each other. Vita's son even wrote that the novel is the most charming love letter in literature in which she explores Vita. The book is about a poet who changes sex and lives for, for centuries, studies extensively... Wait, this book is what, very well known because it's studied extensively by scholars of gender and transgender studies. So it's a, still a very relevant book for those issues. Did you? Is that? I'll never trust like, you ever again, Michael. Yeah, that was, big, that was all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta take. I'll take the blame for that. Is that related to Tiresias, or or Father Tiresias? Like that's a mythical character who does something similar to that and like lives for a hundred years as both. A, I don't a know. Okay, so I can look it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, All right. that's awesome so Good while question. she's looking it up dumper. it's time for the first ultimate nurse question <gasps> um, okay your patient's blood has a pH of 7.32 a partial pressure of carbon dioxide of 41 <laughs> and a bicarbonate level of 20 what is your patient suffering from a metabolic acidosis B, metabolic alkalosis, C, respiratory acidosis, or D, respiratory alkalosis. Dude, what was the pH again? pH is 7.32. I'm pretty sure doesn't blood, blood usually runs acidic is like my first thought when it comes to that, right? Like I don't think of blood as like alkaline when i've like dr drank my own blood from like licking a cut i'm not like mm, soapy so <laughs> <laughs> when i drink my own blood <laughs> um so i think it would be the one that wasn't the respiratory it was blood oh and not gas can you give me the the options <laughs> a metabolic acidosis b metabolic alkalosis c respiratory acidosis d respiratory alkalosis it's gotta be b don't you think miles <laughs> as long as it's an alkalosis then yeah 
B. All right. The answer is A. It's metabolic acidosis. So <laughs> this question what? is one that comes up infinitely in nursing because it's really kind of, it can be confusing, but blood alkalosis and acidosis are created from problems in the GI and renal systems and the pulmonary systems. And the alternate system compensates so that the body can return to homeostasis. So bicarb is a base and uh, carbon dioxide is an acid. So if you look at the causes for these things, it makes sense that if you're too acidic, you hyperventilate to get rid of carbon dioxide, which is an acid. Um, so to figure out the problem when you're looking at it, um, what you do first is look at the pH. A normal blood pH is 7.35 to 7.45. So this is 7.32, so your blood is acidic. Then, mm. Mm -hmm, then to determine the system that's like going wrong, you look at the normal values for carbon dioxide and bicarb. So carbon dioxide is 38 to 42, and bicarb is 22 to 28. So for this one, you see that the carbon dioxide is normal and the bicarb is low. Um, so the bicarb is wrong. However, there's a trick, um, <laughs> not in this problem, but if you see that both systems have a wrong value, then that means that your body can no longer compensate. You aren't able to breathe really fast anymore. And so your organs start shutting down because you can't fix it anymore um so it's really interesting but um yeah i i love it and just as a fun fact um metabolic acidosis it's created when normally from when you either have severe diarrhea or if you have diabetic ketoacidosis which is where your cells are literally starving for glucose it's mostly found in people who have diabetes um, or only found really and then the body breaks down protein and fat and you create way too many ketones or acids um, but yeah and a way to remember that is that it's metabolic acidosis <laughs> <laughs> this is that the is... best thing I've ever heard. That's, that's like that's legitimately super fascinating. Unironically riveted. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad. glad. It's so cool. Your body is cool. The body that's is it. very cool. Aww. I think it's so Thanks, cool. Mary. Also, that we are like completely, we are like conscious beings who have no, absolutely no say, more or less, in what happens. It's like we are the figureheads of the very machine, true. and we're not. We make like nominal decisions of like, do I eat more ice cream? And even then, do we really make those decisions? Yeah. This is a beautiful <laughs> segue into my first ultimate psychologist question, which is about brains. Um, so, no. Hang on, let me, let me pull it up on my little, little document. Okay. Here goes. A person who has Broca's aphasia is unable to speak but it is very likely that they can still do what? A, whisper. B, write a letter. C, use sign language. Or D, sing happy birthday. Oh, man. I kind of want to say sing happy birthday. That's the kind of, because I feel like whispering and speaking seem like they use similar parts of the brain. But I know for sure that at some point in my life, I've read something that's like singing doesn't use the same part as speaking. 
And so I think happy birthday. What do you think, Michael? Happy birthday is a really good guess. Because I feel like it, it can be like less conscious because it's something that's so deeply ingrained in us. It's more like a habit kind of more like muscle memory than a conscious decision to create language. Oh, and I feel like the other answers sort of point, uh, sort of fall into that, have that in common, writing a letter and whispering. Those are unique, independent, new thoughts. What was the fourth answer? So it's a whisper B write a letter. C, use sign language. D, sing happy birthday. And sign language, too, requires you to think creatively. I think that's what they all have in common. And I think that happy birthday... I, I think the problem is not that you're physically unable to speak, but that you um, have trouble creating creative, original thoughts now. I think that's the answer. Is that, that both yeah, we'll your go, final we're answer? Gonna... Happy birthday. You are very correct. Michael, you oh, like yeah. pretty much nailed the explanation because it yeah. is the other explanation, the other term for Broca's aphasia is expressive aphasia. And so it deals with your, you have a part of your brain called the Broca's area of the brain. And so that is what deals with kind of creating speech and it aids in like grammar and syntax and just like kind of creating those like creating coherent language basically. And so whispering, writing a letter, using sign language, all of those things require you to be able to know language and to form language consciously. But singing happy birthday is just like, you know, songs that you just have memorized. You can sing them. Even if you have broke as aphasia and you're unable to speak, you can sing songs that, you know, because your brain has like music and singing stored in kind of different parts of it. So yeah, you got, you're very correct. Oh yeah. It's good teamwork, Miles. <laughs> very good. We, we both kind of touched on different aspects of that explanation. That's so dope. Yeah. Excellent question, Maddie. I love that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so real cool. friendship. I love, Miles I love the, Michael. <laughs> I love the tag team. Fat cougars. Um, just, I have done my research on, Tiribus, Tiribus, and Tiribus, not related, maybe inspired Orlando, but not directly related. Cool. Fun facts. So for anyone who was waiting for that answer, it's here, fact cougars. Glued to your chair saying, wait, no, go back. I need to know <laughs> this. Please don't forget to explain. I didn't forget. I'm glad you. All right. Thank you, Caroline. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I know we're all just so itching for that knowledge. All right. My second question has to do with the very famous author, Mary Shelley, wrote Frankenstein. All right. Let's talk about Mary. There's something about Mary. Am I right, guys? All right. <laughs> all right. Are we ready? Man. Oh, yes. Where is Mary Shelley? <laughs> <laughs> Where is Mary Shelley said to have lost her virginity? The a. Vagina. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even get to say the answers. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even know I was going to say that until it happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
my god. All right. <laughs> a. A cemetery. B. A canoe. C. A church. D. A hospital. So. <laughs> my god. I already, I already know the answer. Damn it! This. No! So, I'll let Michael guess. Oh, I really want it to be the cemetery. Because uh, that's like cute and romantic. <laughs> and also, there's an Archie and the Bird Brain song that's kind of about that. He's a superhero. Uh, <laughs> that's my band. Our album, Retroglycerin. It's streaming everywhere. Quick little plug. I think it's that. Because also, she's like a freak, right? And wrote about a monster. <laughs> Not a freak like that god. <laughs> oh, this is just oh nailing this question. Oh man. Good. Uh, am I can I can I answer? Uh yeah. All right. I cuz I didn't know cuz I it's I'm pretty I'm like 98% sure it's the cemetery. Okay. Are we ready for like the... on I was like on a significant grave, I'm pretty sure. Oh. I think Maybe I'm just, maybe that's apocryphal, but I don't know. All right. Are we ready? Yes. Mary Shelley is said to have lost her virginity in a cemetery (laughs) (laughs) to her lover, Percy Shelley, who would later become her husband. But Percy was married to her, his first wife called Harriet and Mary and Percy eloped while Harriet was pregnant with her and Percy's first child. (laughs) <laughs> Mary and Percy later got married and were known for their very revolutionary view on love and marriage, both having relationships on the side. One, uh, <laughs> one with a woman named Claire who often traveled and lived with them for most of their marriage. <laughs> yeah, didn't she, she had an affair with Lord Byron, didn't she? Yeah, and they, they were said to have orgies, the four of them. Oh, yeah, I mean, Lord Byron, so like, legendarily... I'm... <laughs> Lori Byron legendarily has a huge, huge penis. Like, I think it's pre- <laughs> somebody has like his preserved penis, and it's like he's got like a nine inch penis. Lord I Byron. have to look this up, Miles. We can. Um, somebody so also allegedly, some um, I think somebody in Russia claims to have Rasputin's penis as well, <laughs> preserved, and that one, that one is also big. Oh no! <laughs> oh man. I was hoping it would be very small. No, it was like, like yes, gigantic. All right. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> so uh, it's been yeah, here claimed we go. by some that Byron had an enormous erection in the 1970s. Holdsworth, whoever that is, told a local newspaper that Byron's penis was as big and as long as quote a ponies. Oh my God, that's probably an exaggeration. That's terrible. That has to be. I veto. (laughs) (laughs) It was the men in attendance at the exhuming of Byron's body took turns in entering the vault to view Byron's body before returning to the church above. They went in individually. There's no mention to how the women responded. (laughs) This is a well-written article. (laughs) Yeah, all right. That's a cougar fact. Lord Byron was hung. (laughs) Cougar facts. All right. So, question four, five. What are we on? Five. Okay. Five. 
Your patient is a two-year-old baby who is suffering from acute otitis media. You are administering eardrops to treat the infection. What is the appropriate method of administration? A, keep the drops in the refrigerators so that they are cool upon administration. B, pull the tragus of the ear downward and backward before administration. C, note drainage in the outer ear before administration, but do not remove it. D, fold the earlobe up after administration and pump the ear firmly two times to make sure the drops have entered the middle ear. I think that's how you like break an eardrum, so I think it's not the last <laughs> one. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. Oh, what if I'm wrong? Oh, gosh. Yuri, can I, can I get the answers again? Yes, you may. A, keep the drops in the refrigerator so that they are cool upon administration. B, pull the tragus of the ear downward and backward before administration. C, note drainage in the outer ear before administration, but do not remove it. D, fold the earlobe up after administration and pump the ear firmly two times to make sure the drops have entered the middle ear. No, that, that last one definitely <laughs> would, that would hurt. Because that's like... You're creating like a vacuum in, or not like a vacuum, but you're creating a pressure. You're like adding pressure to it. And like pumping it is like, would just like move it back and forth. And that would hurt so much. <laughs> uh, Marin, can I ask uh, in layman's terms to, for you to tell me what the trachis is? In yeah, the so... I'm going to show you on my ear. It's this, like here. Like you would like pull, but you'd pull like this. Okay. So for that... our for our non-visual <laughs> listeners, that's the, the cartilage on the outside. It's sort of the upper part where you have that. Like, if like you, that hard that. kind of fold. Yeah. Yeah. Hard fold. And then write that down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Michael? What's your guess? I feel like it's that one because that's actually really close to how you put in earplugs. That's that's the best way to. Oh God! What if it's not, and I'm like ruining my ears? Oh, I'm so. (laughs) What I'm told and have practice is that you take the cartilage of your ear and you pull it up and back a little bit, and you stick it out, and you stick the earplug in with your other hand. It's kind of a straighter. Keep in mind, though, it's down and back on my answer. Down and back. Oh, that kind of hurts. And it's, it's a baby, you said? Mm-hmm. Two-year-old. I think you can rip a baby's ear off. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's only like five pounds of pressure to rip an adult ear off. It's like really easy, shockingly. Cougars. <laughs> Cougar. That's. I mean, that is also like that's more of a colloquial thing. I've never like read it <laughs> right. from a real source. I, it's just, it's one of those things that I was told in like middle school. Was like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Fair. Uh, I feel like putting it in the fridge is gonna like make some bad reaction happen to it, and suddenly it's poison. I feel like that's why you ask that. <laughs> just as a gut reaction, I'd be like, suddenly, oh, you're not allowed to do that because now you killed a baby. Good job, Marin. Um, now you're getting tried at the Hague for a crime. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> uh, I, Miles, I think the most reasonable one is pulling the, the ear. We'll go, I'll go with that one as well. 
Egg, Please yep. don't rip the ear off. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Um, yeah. Hold the tragus downward. So if you put the drops in the fridge and you put cold drops into an ear, and this is for babies and adults, they can get severe dizziness and like lose their balance completely. It's a like, so you want to actually take the drops and like warm them in your hands before administering and you keep them at room temperature when you're not using them. Um, and most of them are sensitive to light. So you want to keep them in the box. You do pull the tragus of the ear downward and backwards because in babies' heads, their ear canals are almost flat. And so that's why babies have such a hard time with ear infections and why they get so much is because their ears are physically less capable of draining like in adult ears that are like down towards your heart. Um, so that's why for babies, you pull down and back. And if your child is over three, you pull up and back. Fun fact. I got so many ear infections as a kid. I'd get tubes put in. Me too. Oh yeah. It was like, I, Wow. I had so many issues. Oh my God. This is so, this is so insane. Right. Your body's like, this is like my, all of my problems from zero to four (laughs) right here. Yeah. Um, for the drainage, if you notice drainage in the outer ear, you can absolutely remove it because if it's in the outer ear and it's that noticeable, the drops might not make it to where you want it to go, but you don't want to clear anything out beyond that. Um, and then if you pump the ear, that is so painful. Like that is just so cruel. And like, that's actually a way you can figure out if your baby has an ear infection is if they're crying and, and they're like holding their ears or like patting it or whatever, just take the earlobe and tug once. And if they lose it, <laughs> they probably have an ear infection. Um, so yeah, don't do that. That's just mean <laughs> and you will regret it. <laughs> Cougar fact. Cougar fact. Cougar fact. (laughs) Now you know how to take care of your children. Yeah. (laughs) My several children. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Are we ready for the last question? I just turned around to give his girlfriend the eye about (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) After saying, I have several children. You hear that music? (laughs) We're talking about you. What are you saying? Oh, don't worry about it. I'll tell you later. Love you. (laughs) Yes, we're ready for the next question. All right. And this is our final question, right? Wow. Okay. Um, All right. So this one, I just had to throw in a little bit about what I study personally at school right now. Um, And here is the question. According to terror management theory, otherwise known as TMT, Reminding people that they are going to die someday can have what effect on them? A, increase their self-esteem. B, decrease (laughs) their self-esteem. C, make them more patriotic. D, make them less patriotic. Wow. (laughs) You love yourself or your country? Or hate yourself and your country. <laughs> and if I remind I'm trying, you I'm trying to... that you're going to die someday, what does that do? Maddie, I tell myself I'm going to die every day. So <laughs> considering um, my self-esteem is pretty stellar. 
I, just like from my personal reaction, I feel like my self-esteem increases, but I have no way to gauge my patriotism because I don't think that exists in my body. Like, I wouldn't know how to tell you if if I feel more patriotic or less patriotic. I don't know if I'm capable of patriotism. And I will, (laughs) you know, it's fair. I will give the disclaimer that this is kind of like generalizations as far as like if you're doing a study and like taking surveys from a bunch of different people, like overall trends that you see. Um, I will give that disclaimer, but. Is the question like, how is your self-esteem today? No, it's measured in other ways. <laughs> by, the way, by the way, you're going to die. Okay, hey, remember, you're going to die someday. How are you feeling? <laughs> how, do you, how do you measure self-esteem? The most common like, way. With a ruler. The most common with way. With a ruler. To <laughs> with a ruler. Yeah. Um, I have one inch of self-esteem. One <laughs> <laughs> the most common way to measure self-esteem is through, I believe it's called the Rosenberg self-esteem scale. And it is a survey question that it's basically a bunch of things that ask you to like, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's on a scale of like agree to disagree or agree to disagree, or it might be like, frequency like most often sometimes never when it asks like um sometimes i feel like i'm no good at all or like sometimes i feel like i can do anything like it's just like questions like that that people are like trying to say how often they feel like that or how much they agree with that yeah so I feel like, okay, I want to reason that it could be an increase in patriotism. Because if you are conscious, like, if you're frequently thinking about your own mortality and the, like, the, the transience of your life, the unbearable lightness of being, if you will, as for you, Caroline, <laughs> literary, in fact, cougar, um, you're going to look, you could look for a more permanent uh, superhuman organization such as your country and feel like, well, I don't want to die. Nobody really wants to like die and face their own mortality. So maybe, maybe it encourages you to accept the fact that you're going to die, but then place some of your, base some of your worth identify with your country and decide, hey, my country is great. I'm part of it and it's going to last forever. So maybe I'm going to last forever too. Ha ha, suck it, death. That's my reason. <laughs> okay. Caroline, I want you to know that your order of people is different from our order of people. So mine says going to never give you. Mine says going to you never give. <laughs> For, con- for context, Caroline keeps changing her names on Zoom. We were all formerly we were all, we were all formerly Michael Richardson, and now we're gonna give never you up. <laughs> oh God! Okay, sorry. I'm gonna say it raises your self esteem. I think that's my guess. Okay, so. Instead of saying who's correct first, I'll, I'll go with, into my little spiel first. Okay, so terror management theory, it's what I study at JMU. I am on a psych research lab dedicated to studying it and just essentially studying the effects of death anxiety and mortality salience. So um, a lot of what we do is we will bring people into the lab or we'll send them a survey and ask them to journal about what they think their own death will be like. And it's very morbid 
and it has to go through a lot of layers of like IRB approval and everything to make sure it's ethical and like, yeah, all that. But um, that's what my senior thesis is doing. And it's, my thesis is actually looking at death anxiety and political attitudes and political polarization. Um, so yeah, but basically terror management theory basically says that, so we, we are smart conscious beings but we all die and we know that we are going to die and that really freaks us out. And so in order to not be really freaked out by the fact that we're going to die, we have to do some kind of cognitive acrobatics in order to relieve ourselves of death anxiety because we know we're going to die. It's an unavoidable, inescapable fact, but we don't like it. So um, there are, two kind of two major ways like two categories of ways that we buffer against death anxiety one of them is through buffering our self-esteem and the other one is through um maintaining faith in a cultural worldview and so with the self-esteem aspect of it um the more you feel good about yourself the less afraid you are to die and part of that like evolutionarily some theorize that that might be because if you feel good about yourself you think other people like you and will help protect you and take care of you you're not going to be thrown out to the wolves and like left to die um that is so interesting yeah but um and then if you have low self-esteem if you worry a lot of the times self low self-esteem can come from worrying like whether other people like you whether other people care about you and then that can make your death anxiety worse because it's like an evolutionary response to like the fear of being thrown out of the pack and left to die on your own because we are social creatures. I um, love this so much. That's the coolest. I know you're not even done, but that's like <laughs> the coolest thing I've ever heard. I'm glad oh, you think it's cool because I think it's real cool too. Um, but then the cultural worldview aspect of it is um, in order to feel like it, it, that's kind of the aspect of life that makes us feel like our lives have meaning and it makes us feel a little more okay with the fact that we're going to die someday. Like if you have a religion, a very strong religious faith, um, even if it's a religious faith that doesn't necessarily believe in an afterlife, if you have a community of people who you like worship with or you celebrate with as just one example, religion as one example, um, that makes you feel better because sometimes, and Michael, this is touches, touches on a little bit of what you just said. It gives you a feeling of symbolic immortality is what we call it because it's like, oh, nice. my religion is going to live on. Like this community I'm part of is going to go on forever. So a, a piece of me is going to go part on forever. And so patriotism can work in a similar way as religious faith because it makes you feel like you are part of some bigger picture that's going to live on. And um, so, yeah, what is very interesting is that um, making people like think about or worry about their own death can actually increase patriotism a lot because it makes them cling more to that cultural worldview with their country as their worldview a little bit. And it you know that? Do you know what that makes me think of? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, go for it. But that, like, that makes me like immediately think of like the death cult parts of fascistic governments. Yeah. And how it's like to like live for your country is to die for your country. Yeah. Yeah, and actual cults who like yeah. commit like mass suicide and things like that. They can get to a point where they believe so strongly in that kind of symbolic immortality that it, it's like when that belief is so strong, like the death doesn't even bother them. It doesn't like the anxiety goes away. And it's like, that's, yeah. 
on like a on like a wow. side note, I think there's still a member of the Jonestown cult who still answers the email address. Oh my god! At, at least they maintain the the website. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I feel like that should maybe get taken down. I think it should make your self-esteem skyrocket. That's <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing is that the, the death anxiety makes you want to increase your self-esteem, but it doesn't necessarily just increase your self-esteem. It makes you like that's so that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm gonna die, I should like myself. <laughs> I don't, but I should. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> Like I mean, that's honestly, like, that is, like, a part of, like, how, like, how terrible depression is to, like, exist through. Because there's definitely a train of thought where it's, like, I should be better. Mm-hmm. I will die someday. I can't always be like this. Mm-hmm. Which just makes it harder, yeah. you know? So I think there's definitely, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That, thank you so much, Manny. It's fascinating. Thank you. I'm glad you found it interesting because, yeah, it's it's what I study. I get very excited about it. <laughs> Killer stuff. As you should. I think that's like the, the best thing in the world is listening to people get excited about stuff, in my opinion. Like listening to somebody who has true passion, unlike any subject, is always interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. And you, you, all three of you are so passionate about your things. And shared that with us so graciously and with our listeners so gracefully <laughs> i love it this is amazing what was our what was our score did you get that last one right for maddie so I did. miles and michael, michael had did. different answers on that one but michael got it right did you get like half a point half a point that would put you yeah. at 3.5 3.5 does that mean we want an average win? Wow. You won by 0.5 of a point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's so good. This was so fun. Wow. Like, this I'm putting so fun. this trophy on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank well, you guys for having us. Thank you so much for coming on the old Quorumcast. Uh, we appreciate you guys and your love and support. And thank you for gracing us with your fascinating, fascinating knowledge. Yes, thank you so much. Please take uh, take a minute to plug your stuff, your podcast, and then and then we'll sign off. All right. Uh, well, we are the Ultra Hope Girls from Ultra Hope Girls Dung and Rumpa Podcast. As we've said, um, we are a podcast that delves into the Dong and Rumpa games and uh, series on uh, TV, and we just love those games so much. I mean, we take each chapter um, and really explore every hidden, like, symbol and thing that you might have missed when you play the games and so we hope that you will either take the time to play the games or if you've already played them that you'll take the time to to just get more involved in the Danganronpa community through our podcast and we have also interviewed some of the voice actors who have appeared in the games as well which is it's been a lot of fun so check us out yeah, yeah thank you <laughs> Okay. I was just—I was just gonna say, if you have heard of Dong and Rumpa and you've been meaning to play it, this is your sign. Now is the time. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. And as always, we are, Michael and I are the Hack Cougars. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to give us a follow on whatever platform you like to listen to, the like and the comment, and share us with your friends if you think that they'd be interested. There's always that one guy in your friend group who's like, hey, you know that ants can float? And you're like, don't, why would you tell me that? And he's like, because I think it's interesting that ants can float. And this podcast is both for you and for him. So actually, yes, we, really it, interesting Miles thing. Is right. ants... We are determined oh. to be as annoying as possible. And I think we succeed. <laughs> That's our mission statement. There's like ants who can make structures. They like they make ant boats, essentially. They, make, they create buoyancy devices made of their bodies like trap air to float on water. It's really anyway, have a good day everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye.